are back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. I'd love to hear from listeners. You can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Or you can call my vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. The number for the vent line is 772-245-0750. Well, yesterday afternoon... Adam Schiff and his star chamber released their impeachment report from the House Intelligence Committee. It is a completely one-sided report. It didn't get a single Republican vote in favor. And as a matter of fact, the Republicans released uh, sort of a pre-buttle to his report, refuting each and every claim that the Democrats uh, made in this, uh, this impeachment frenzy. And uh, the the Schiff's report was actually over 300 pages. He released it at 2 p.m. Just in time for the committee to vote on it just a very few hours later. So they were supposed to read this 300 pages of this report and then digest it and take a vote on whether or not to impeach the president of the United States. That's the kind of process that Adam Schiff and the Democrats have going now they're going to toss it on over to Job of the Hut, Jerry Nadler, over at the Judici- Judiciary Committee, and uh, and and try to you know continue to beat this drum. In the second half hour of today's show, I want you to stay tuned. We're going to have Doug Weed. He's a presidential historian that is the uh, first and only authorized um ha- has written the first and only authorized book. On the Trump presidency, inside Trump's White House, the real story of his presidency. And uh, Doug has got to, you You need, really need to uh, stay tuned for that interview. And I can't recommend the book more highly. So Adam Schiff put out his slop to the, uh, to the waiting left-wing media. And you had Ari Melber over there at MSNBC. He's what passes over there as a, uh, a legal analyst. And here's uh, here's how he received it. You've just joined me on set. How do you do this as 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 a lawyer yourself? What do you do when the other side is refusing to acknowledge? the Well, truth? I'll show you with the visual aid. We have the whole report and we don't claim uh, to have read it all because it is this thick hundreds of pages. And, and we're pay attention to my analysis. I haven't actually read the report, but here comes my analysis. Going through it as teamwork, as you've been going uh, through it with our colleagues and experts. One thing that jumps out to me uh, in what we're actually learning here is this is a two-pronged attack. Uh, many people had said, will it be a three- or four-pronged attack? It's really two prongs. Yeah. One, uh, the misconduct alleged against Donald Trump, and two, the obstruction. Uh, I would note the obstruction is not in doubt at all. I would note that the obstruction is in doubt at all because uh, a subpoena is not the final word on anything. If somebody uh, tries to resist a subpoena, they have a perfect right to do that, and the court makes the determination whether or not that subpoena is enforceable. 
And in this case, the subpoenas of the president's uh, personal counsel, White House counsel, cabinet members, none of that's enforceable, and the the courts will uh, find that. So to try to base, you know, an article of impeachment on obstruction for exercising your constitutional rights to petition courts is absurd. Here's Adam Schiff making the argument, making the case for this 300-page work of fiction. This report chronicles a scheme by the President of the United States to coerce an ally, uh, Ukraine, uh, that is at war with an adversary, Russia, uh, into doing the the President's uh, political uh, dirty work. Uh, It involves a scheme in which Donald Trump withheld official acts, a White House meeting, as well as hundreds of millions of dollars of needed military assistance. Now, there's no evidence that that happened that came out of these hearings. And we'll get we'll, uh, we'll demonstrate that later on in order to compel that power to deliver two investigations that he believed would assist his reelection campaign. Also, no evidence in the hearings to any of that. It's simply Adam Schiff trying to read the president's mind. Uh, and I want to underscore, first of all, just how important that White House meeting was to Ukraine. Ukraine has a new reformer as its president, uh, President Zelensky. That's yet to be A meeting with the most important patron of Ukraine, the President of the United States, in the Oval Office carries enormous significance uh, both to the people of Ukraine, but as equally important to Russia. So Adam Schiff says that uh, by not meeting with Ukrainian President Zelensky, Donald Trump has committed, committed uh, an impeachable offense. Wrap your mind around that. But... At the heart of Schiff's case are two fallacies, things that haven't been proven, and even if they had been proven, wouldn't be impeachable, but they most certainly have not been proven. And one is that he conditioned this aid to the Ukraine on meetings in return for investigations. Now, we do know that Donald Trump wanted investigations, but in two weeks of hearings before Adam Schiff's intelligence committee, we heard absolutely zero evidence that he conditioned these investigations on a White House meeting or on, uh, uh, on you know, uh, aid. We did hear from uh, EU Ambassador Sondland that he assumed that that was the case. Answer the question. Is it correct? No one on this planet told you that Donald Trump was tying this aid to the investigations, because if your answer is yes, then the chairman's wrong and the headline on CNN is wrong. No one on this planet told you that President Trump was tying aid to investigations. Yes or no? Yes. So you really have no testimony today that ties President Trump to a scheme to withhold aid from Ukraine in exchange for these investigations? 
other than my own presumption. Which is nothing. I mean, that's what I don't understand. So do you know what hearsay evidence is, Ambassador? Hearsay is when I testify what someone else told me. Do you know what made-up testimony is? Made-up testimony is when I just presume it. I mean, you're just assuming all of these things, and then you're giving them the evidence that they're running out and doing press conferences, and CNN's headline is saying that you're saying the President of the United States should be impeached because he tied aid to investigations, and you don't know that, correct? I never said the President of the United States should be impeached. Nope, but you did. You have left people with the confusing impression that you were giving testimony that you did not. You do not have any evidence that the President of the United States was tied to withholding aid from Ukraine in exchange for investigations. So we know from the transcript of the call that the President did want the Ukrainian government to look into Hunter Biden's activities and into the Ukraine government's activities interfering in our elections in 2016. But there was zero evidence presented that Donald Trump conditioned meetings or military assistance on those investigations. But the second and probably even bigger fallacy that Adam Schiff is basing his case on is that Donald Trump wanted dirt on Biden for his own political purposes. You probably remember that that, uh, dialogue that Adam Schiff put forward saying, I want uh, you, you to make up dirt on my political opponents. That statement never happened. There was never any testimony that that was the case. There were perfectly legitimate reasons for the president of the United States to want to know whether or not the previous administration had been knee deep in corruption in the Ukraine before he shoveled $400 million of American taxpayer money to that government. And Adam Schiff saying that it was for his own political purposes for his reelection is simply just mind reading. There's absolutely zero evidence in the record to indicate that it may be the case. It may not be the case, but there's no evidence of it other than Adam Schiff's frenzied obsession like Ahab after the great white well to get this president. He's simply basing an impeachment on his ability to read the president's mind and determine what his motivation is. The whole case that Donald Trump conditioned things on these investigations was torn apart in Schiff's Intelligence Committee. I'll just give you a a few examples. Here is Utah Representative, Republican Representative Chris Stewart. Um, Well, I, I should say, He's questioning Vindman here. Mr. Vindman was the is the main witness that Schiff bases his case that Donald Trump demanded these investigations of. And here is Representative Chris Stewart questioning him and just destroying his whole case. Uh, Mr. Morrison, um, Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman reported to you, to you. Is that correct? He did, sir. Um, now, you you have a legal... Stand by. That is not the correct... Here we go. Here Here is uh, Chris Stewart questioning Vindeman on his assertion that Donald Trump demanded investigations. Here your officer asks for a favor of a subordinate, and they will interpret that as a demand. Is, is that a fair synopsis of what you previously stated? Uh, 
Representative, when a superior makes a request, that's an order. Okay. Uh, in short, then, you think your interpretation of a favor as a demand is based on your military experience and the military culture? I, I think that is correct. I think that is correct. Uh, is President Trump a member of the military? Uh, he is not. Has he ever served in the military? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Is President Zelensky a member of the military? Uh, I the don't believe no. so. I don't know. He's not. It would it be fair then to take a person who has never served in the military uh, and to take your reevaluation of their words based on your military experience and your military culture and to attach that culture and that meaning of those words to someone who has never served? Representative, I made that judgment and I stick by that judgment. Okay, well, I got to tell you, I think it's nonsense. Uh, look, I was in the military. I could distinguish between a favor and an order and a demand, and so could my subordinates. And I think President Zelensky did as well. He never initiated an investigation. In fact, he's been very clear. He said, I never felt any pressure at all. So you interpreted the word favor, but the two people who were speaking to each other did not interpret that as a demand. It was your interpretation. Is that fair? Alexander Vindeman was was uh, Adam Schiff's best witness for this was a demand for a quid pro quo, and he was absolutely discredited completely in his testimony. It should have ended right there. This is the same Alexander Vindeman that went outside of the chain of command and leaked his interpretation of this phone call to the whistleblower who then ran to a resistance law firm and ginned up this whole whistleblower complaint that we're not allowed to cross-examine the guy that filed it. we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll get back to more of this. Stick with us. Mojo. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Alexander Vindeman, I like to call him Mr. Vindeman, a, uh, a, a Ukrainian-born zealous um, defender of Ukraine's interests, listened to this phone call, ginned it up in his mind that uh, Donald Trump was making demands for investigations, claimed that he heard it eight different times on the phone call, ran to the whistleblower who had previously been dismissed for the White House for leaking and, and uh, working against the President of the United States, that whistleblower runs to Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff refers him to a resistance law firm who gins up this bogus complaint. You've got this other resistance uh, inspector general inside the intelligence community, which changes the, who changes the rules of a whistleblower complaint to allow for secondhand information. He files the complaint, and we're off to the races trying to remove a duly elected president of the United States one year before a re-election campaign. 
And the, the case that the whistleblower and Adam Schiff were making was absolutely destroyed by the Republicans in his intelligence committee. And here's another example. I can't remember this Ohio representative's name, uh, but he's questioning Ambassador, uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, National Security Advisor Tim Morrison about whether or not this was a demand that, as Vindeman had characterized it. Uh, Mr. Morrison, um, Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman reported to you, to you, is that correct? He did, sir. Um, now, you you have a legal background. He said that he listened to the phone call, um, a phone call which you said you saw nothing that had occurred illegally. And he said that he believed the President of the United States demanded to President Zelensky that these investigations move forward. Do you believe, because he only was telling us his opinion, do you believe in your opinion that the President of the United States demanded the President Zelensky undertake these investigations? No, sir. I mean... I don't know, you know, Jerry Nadler over there at the Judiciary Committee has already shown himself to be thoroughly incompetent at, at ginning this stuff up. Adam Schiff is a much more expert liar than Jerry Nadler, and his lies didn't survive his committee, and yet they're going to shuffle it on over to to the uh, Judiciary Committee. Adam Schiff just insists that the American people buy his lies and get deeply emotionally invested in them. This is not about Ukraine. This is about our democracy. This is about our national security. This is about whether the American people have a right to expect that the President of the United States is going to act in their interests with their security in mind and not for some illicit personal or political reason. So Americans should care deeply about whether the President of the United States is betraying their trust in him. We, we do care deeply. We saw your evidence. It it was bogus. We don't care. I mean, the people are tuning out this impeachment, and even Democrats are wishing that the House of Representatives would get back to work with the people's business. And every indication is that Alexander Vindeman, the whistleblower, and Adam Schiff and his staff coordinated with this resistance law firm in Washington, D.C., in order to try to remove a president before he could be reelected. What he wanted. That scheme, however, was discovered uh, because, among other things, a courageous person stepped forward and blew the whistle, but also because Congress announced that it would investigate. A courageous person stepped forward. He never stepped forward. <clears throat> Y'all were saying that you were going to demand his his testimony until it came to light that you had co- that uh, Adam Schiff had coordinated with the whistleblower. And let me tell you what this is really all about. By making these requests for investigations into the Ukraine's interference in the 2016 presidential election that kicked off the whole um, dossier and the appointment of a special counsel that crippled this administration for two years and into Joe Biden's and his son's corruption in the Ukraine, he set off alarm bells for the Democrat establishment who hoped to drag old Joe Biden over the line to protect their interests. And they went back on the offensive just the same way that they used the Mueller investigation to cover up their wrongdoing in 2016. They're now using this impeachment investigation in order to cover up the Democrats' wrongdoing in the Ukraine. And John Solomon is uh, is making that case. John Solomon is a former um, 
bureau chief for the Associated Press. He's been published in the New York Times, The Hill, Politico, everywhere. But now that he's on to them, they're desperately trying to discredit him. But uh, here's just a, a, a snippet of the case that John Solomon is making about what he's discovered in the Ukraine. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And listen, when we started this, right, the Democrats and their media allies were calling the whole Joe Biden thing a tinfoil hat conspiracy. It's far from it. We now know that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, got VIP access to the State Department, including to the deputy secretary, a guy named Tony Blinken, who is his father's top national security advisor for years. We know also that uh, his company used that VIP access, Prisma Holdings, the Ukraine company under investigation in Ukraine during the 2016 election to pressure the State Department to try to make those corruption allegations against it go away. This occurs in February 2016, the beginning of the primaries, right when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are being set up for the 2016 election. The last thing Democrats want is a scandal in Ukraine. This company comes in and says, we need the State Department's help to get these, make these allegations go away. And the reason they cite for getting the State Department to help is that Hunter Biden is on the board. They invoke Hunter Biden as the reason the State Department should help. Why was this troubling? Why was Burisma concerned? Why was Hunter Biden concerned? Why might Joe Biden be concerned? Because at that, just that earlier that same month, early February 2016, uh, the Ukraine prosecutors raided the home of Hunter Biden's boss, the head of Burisma. That set off alarm bells that maybe there was going to be a big case coming down the pike. And that's when Hunter Biden's team, the Burisma company, goes into action, pressing the State Department to try to make this thing go away. And one month later, what does Joe Biden do? March 2016, he forces the firing of the man who is leading that investigation. This is a cover-up impeachment just the same way that Robert Mueller's investigation was a cover-up special counsel. I mean, to watch the Democrats, you might have thought that Donald Trump had deployed CIA and FBI agents to infiltrate Joe Biden's campaign. You might have thought that he wiretapped Joe Biden's campaign and listened to their um, their phone calls, their text messages, and their emails. And what one of the big things that came out in this uh, investigation yesterday is that Adam Schiff and his staff, in fact, got the phone records of the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. That is a violation of the attorney-client privilege, which apparently doesn't count for anything when it comes to Donald Trump. They also got the phone records of the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes, who apparently uh, had phone calls coming in from some of the people involved in this investigation, so they're trying to smear him with that. They also got um, uh, John Solomon's phone records. He refuses absolutely to say how he got these phone records. But it's amazing that Adam Schiff is is digging into the phone records of John Solomon, a reporter, and none of the left-wing media is expressing any concern about that whatsoever. I mean, think about that. Think about the despotic tendencies of this guy Adam Schiff he falls right in with these other Marxists that we've seen throughout history he refuses to say how he obtained them and none of the other journalists are coming 
to John Solomon's defense. So now we're going to run over to uh, Jerry Nadler's Judiciary Committee, and we're going to hear from a panel of three Democrat partisans that are supposed to be experts that are going to testify that Donald Trump must be impeached for this. They've been calling these same three experts for Donald Trump's impeachment since the day he took office. We're also going to have Jonathan Turley on this uh, this panel, who may bring some some uh, sense to it, but we'll have to see. And we'll cover all that tomorrow. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Doug Weed to talk about his new book, Inside the Trump White House, The Real Story of His Presidency. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America first perspective. Well, a sort of cottage industry has sprung up with former White House staffers and never-Trump moles writing unauthorized tell-all books designed to feed the left-wing media smear machine against this president. But my next guest has written the first and only authorized account of the early days of this administration. Doug Weed is author of Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency, which is available now in stores and on Amazon and also at Walmart.com. Mr. Weed is a presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author, and former advisor to two American presidents, and his books are known for using primary sources as opposed to rumor and gossip. He's interviewed six American presidents and seven first ladies, and we're glad now to welcome him to this show. Doug, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. So we've been treated to these uh, tell-all books from Amorosa and uh, the you know the despicable Michael Wolf, and uh, and now this. Um, mysterious anonymous. So I guess I'd just start by asking you sort of an obvious question. How is your book different? Well, I go to primary sources. I mean, uh, history, I love to read history and, uh, I'm not much interested to say, I, I want people who can actually meet the people they're writing about and talking about. And so I sat down with Ivanka Trump. I said, you know, in a hundred years, when you're gone, your kids are gone, 
uh, and the, the history starts to write this story, you're going to be portrayed very cruelly like the Borgias or the Medicis or very grandly like the Kennedys or the Rockefellers. It depends on what the primary sources say. And I would like to record those primary sources. I just think there's a real hunger for this book. The The story of Trump's rise to the presidency is uh, a, an American success story on steroids. You know, he was a, a <laughs> mega developer who, um, you know, developed a uh, an empire of uh, fabulous properties all over the world. Then he became, you know, a brand and then a, a reality TV show star. And then on his very first run for public office, vanquished a huge field of, uh, you know, professional politicians in both parties to become president and, and go to Washington. And I'm sort of always um, puzzled that the reaction to him has been so violent and hostile uh, from the legacy media. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, and it's money. Uh, you know, I worked four years in the Republican establishment, but it doesn't matter whether it's the Democratic establishment or Republican establishment. The name of the game is, is to work with special interests, to create regulations, and to make those regulations so big and so onerous that there can be no competition. So you can develop a session hit. Republican or Democrats in power, it doesn't matter. They pass a stimulus bill, which is 1,000 pages or sometimes 20,000 pages long. And the stimulus bill exempts those monopolies from the very regulations that were passed that kept you out. And there's one more wrinkle. They're multinational American. They have their deals with China and Donald Trump is upsetting the table. He's breaking the dishes. Uh, he's ruining the, the, the nice thing they got going in the so-called swamp. And so they hate him. And they're the ones that own television. Networks. They own, uh, they do the advertising that pay the bills and the salaries of the people on television. They donate to the think tanks and provide the money for the grants that are written. So the pundits get on TV and mouth what they're told to say. So, of course, they hate Donald Trump. Hey, Doug, we've got a little bit of an unstable line. If you're able to uh, get next to a window, I know you're on a uh, a book tour and uh, living out of a suitcase, but uh, if you can uh, get to a better cell, that would be great. Um, All right. I'll see how we're doing now. Oh, much better. So, um, right. you know, the, the ironic thing about this presidency is we've enjoyed sort of an unprecedented period of uh, peace and prosperity, and yet, um, in in the heartland, it's recognized. And yet, on the coasts, and in these uh, these newsrooms that uh, in the cable TVs and the network TV stations, they're just um, obsessed with this anti-Trump fever uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to break anytime soon. What would you consider uh, the greatest accomplishment so far of the Trump presidency? Yeah, Jim, I think they recognize it. They just, it's what I said earlier, maybe it didn't come through good with the mic, but they're, they're, the big companies, the monopolies are making money. They don't want it to be true, but the gold standard for a president is peace and prosperity. That's it. This is the first president in 40 years who hadn't started a war somewhere. It was Bosnia or Libya or Grenada or Panama or invaded somebody. So th that's amazing. 
the economy is everything that the social engineers of the 60s, Hubert Humphrey, LBJ, everything they ever wanted for the poorest of the poor in American society has come true under Donald Trump. We have 7 million unfilled jobs. That's the population of the state of Indiana. We have 6 million people that have gone off food stamps. This is a great presidency by any measure. These Democrat candidates don't seem to recognize that the way you create rising wages is uh, is by creating jobs and competition in the labor markets. And uh, and you've got, uh, you know, just uh, uh, such a contrast with these uh, these candidates, Democrat candidates that are preaching socialism and sort of this uh, Marxism light at the same time uh, when finally wages are starting to increase and the, the job market starting to tighten at the same time we're enjoying unprecedented uh, levels, uh, you know, in the stock market, uh, recharging everybody's retirement funds. And um, that was a little bit of a uh, getting on my high horse, but I, I guess I'd ask you, you know, we, we always hear from like these books by Michael Wolf and Amorosa and such that uh, the Trump White House is a chaotic and poorly organized operation. Was that in your, your impression writing from inside the White House? Yes and no. I, I would call it calculated chaos. You know, Sun Tzu wrote many thousands of years ago that out of chaos comes opportunity. And uh, the good example of that is NATO. When Trump got in there, he just blew up NATO. He said, what's this? You know, we're spending all this money. They, they've lied to us. They said they would pay a certain percentage of their GDP. They're not doing it. So the media went crazy. They said, he's threatening our, this is a this is our most important uh, treaty and association. The Pentagon, the generals came in and sat with him and said, these are our friends, sir. They're our friends. He said, well, if they're our friends, why are we paying for high-speed railways for them and building new airports and paying for their education while our own middle class are descending into poverty? If they're our friends, why do they sign a treaty and then make us pay for it? So he blew the whole thing up, Jim, but he rebuilt it, and today he's met with NATO yesterday and today. He's raised $100 billion for NATO, and $40 billion of that brand-new money that they've brought in because they heard his complaint. And I just ask you one question. If one of these Democrats is elected president, do you think they're going to refund that money? you think they're going to give back $100 billion to Germany and France, of money that they had promised to pay? Not on your life. So, yes, uh, there is chaos, uh, but out of the chaos has come these programs, these many programs that have brought us peace and prosperity. I have always been impressed by what a contrast it is by uh, how the uh, the foreign policy and national defense elites are beating this war to restart a Cold War with Russia. At the same time, you've got communist China, still communist China, uh, fomenting uh, despotism throughout the world and literally killing tens of thousands of Americans with their, you know, by flooding uh, the United States with fentanyl. And yet they they seem everybody except for Trump and this administration seem largely unconcerned about the the uh, rising and really uh, deadly threat that China poses while they continue to try to beat a drum for a new Cold War with Russia. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, it's because Russia is no longer anti-Christian. There's probably more religious freedom in Russia than there is in the United States, certainly in schools, for example. The income tax rate in Russia is 18%. There's no question it's a dictatorship, but you're right. In China, they're herding people into concentration camps if they're Muslim, and Christians are losing their property and there's no right to vote. And I'll tell you another conundrum, a a puzzle. And that's how you got Bernie Sanders defending Venezuela. So on the one hand, he calls Donald Trump a Russian spy. On the other hand, he's defending the socialist government of Venezuela that uses Russian troops on the ground as his bodyguards to protect him and has TU-95 uh, Russian uh, jets capable of carrying nuclear weapons, and Trump's trying to get that overturned, and Bernie Sanders is fighting him on it. So who's the Russian spy? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I get the feeling that our uh, foreign policy and national defense elites uh, would like to restart this Cold War so that they can, you know, uh, attend these cocktail parties in the capitals of Europe while they're turning a blind eye to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Cuba— uh, is fomenting revolution right here in in our hemisphere. Uh, they've pretty much destroyed the once prosperous nation of Venezuela, and now they're they're starting to to uh, attack uh, uh, Chile as well. And yet, um, they don't they don't seem concerned about that whatsoever. Yeah, well, they have have their reasons for that. It's. Uh fascinating to me. Uh, I sat down with uh, the president, President Trump, and I went through all of the world leaders one by one by one. <laughs> you know, today he's meeting Emmanuel Macron. Oh, said, that was beautiful. Mac- that, that interview was beautiful. <laughs> uh, Macron's sitting there <laughs> yeah. saying, you know, how we've got to continue to wipe out ISIS. I, uh, last I looked, Fran- France didn't have any sort of major presence uh, in any of the uh, nations where ISIS he- held its caliphate. And they're refusing to take yeah. back uh, the foreign fighters that came from France to join ISIS. Yeah, yeah. The pro- the problem with Donald Trump is he's got too much common sense. <laughs> when he came in there the first day, I describe in my book the first day in the White House, and he wanted to do everything. He wanted to destroy ISIS. He wanted to turn around the thing with China. He wanted to turn around the economy, and he wanted to bring home the hostage. He was hostages. He was just horrified that America had all of these hostages held by foreign governments, and for sixteen years under a Democrat and Republican president, the government was silent and would not allow anybody to talk about it in the media or even the families of these hostages because he said that the policy of American policies was that will increase the value of the hostages and cause more to be taken. So Trump turned that around. He's brought 22 hostages home, and he uses the power of the American economy to throttle any nation that will hang on to an American and torture them and keep them as a prisoner. And is not shy at all about uh, telling them exactly what the consequences for taking American hostages will be. You know, I remember um, yeah, in the late right. days of the Obama administration, his national security regime was telling us that uh, fighting the Islamic caliphate, the ISIS caliphate, was going to be a generational war that would take at least 20 years and uh, Trump, you know, took the the reins off of the generals, and uh, and they mopped up that caliphate in what about six months? 
Yeah, you know, I've got a whole chapter on that. There's so much they did that has not been made public. It's just utterly fascinating. You're right. Obama's plan and his idea was to degrade ISIS and to try to stop ISIS from recruiting by being nice to terrorists. So they could not use the word in the U.S. government. You couldn't use the word, as you know, Islamic terrorists. Uh, he, he sat down with an interview with Nicholas Kristof and said the Muslim call to prayer at sunset is the prettiest sound on earth. And mm-hmm. he lectured the Christians at the National Prayer Breakfast and, and said, you committed these same crimes during the Crusades, which were 800 years ago. <laughs> and so that was his approach. He thought if we're real nice to these Muslim extremists, they won't recruit as many. That was their plan for uh, ending ISIS. <laughs> hey, Doug, we need to take a, a real quick break. If you've got time to All stick right. with us, I'd love to uh, to bring you back after this uh, brief commercial message. I'll stick with you. Thank Stand, you. Stand by. Mojo. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. And we're back talking with Doug Weed, author of the Inside Trump's White House, the real story of his presidency, available now in stores and on Amazon and also at walmart.com. And uh, as we went out to break, we were just talking about uh, uh, Doug's access uh, to uh, the the main sources inside the White House. He interviewed the president and his children. You know, Doug, I've always thought that uh, one of the best ways of judging a man is by looking at his uh, his children. And uh, and despite the fact that this, uh, the, you know, this family has been so unfairly maligned, you would have to say that each and every one of uh, uh, Doug or um, uh, Donald Trump's children are impressive individuals. Tell us a little bit about your discussions with them. Yeah, just fascinating to me. Uh, they're, they're very positive. They remain positive. Uh, Ivanka says, I refuse to be bitter. I will not be bitter. She said, I can't function unless I'm happy. So I choose to be happy. That was very impressive to me. Our kids talk about that from time to time. When something happens in the house, we'll say, remember, Ivanka, happiness isn't circumstances. It's a choice. It's a choice. So choose to be happy. Uh, they're fascinating. I, I'm surprised. In most families, there's a sloppy one and a neat one and a smart one and a dumb one and a rich one and a poor one. But in the Trump family, the, every every one of the sons or daughters is just dynamic and great personalities, uh, like their father, they have these great personalities and sense of humor. And <laughs> so I was deeply impressed. Their stories are just wonderful. The, the best stories about the president and the first lady are the ones that come from their kids. <laughs> well, you may have seen Donald Trump out there on the book circuit. He's got a, a New York Times bestseller as well. 
And uh, just listening to him talk, I see a lot of uh, uh, his father in him. And um, there's there's a lot of talk about, you know, possibly him one day uh, uh, taking his father's place in the White House. Did you uh, did you mention that possibility to Junior when you were talking to him? Oh, yeah, we talked about everything. He's uh, just absolutely a fascinating interview. And Eric, Eric gave me a inter- uh, tour of Trump Tower. Eric and Laura, they're, they're absolutely a hoot and wonderful. And Tiffany, I had the only interviews that Tiffany has given since her father was elected president. She's She has fun stories. Uh, the night they all went to Buckingham Palace, they didn't have a motorcade or anyone to take them there. And so they had these beautiful gowns and tuxedos, the Trump kids. So they rented a a van bus, like the kind that takes you to your car, Avis rental car at the airport. (laughs) They rented this bus and they all piled in in their tuxedos and gowns and said to the driver, take us to Buckingham Palace. (laughs) Did you, uh, did you talk with the kids about uh, all of this criticism that they've suffered for uh, nepotism inside the white house? I guess I'm referring specifically to Ivanka and Jared Kushner and, uh, and whether they think that that's a, a fair criticism. Yeah, that's actually how I met them. Uh, When uh, Donald Trump was first elected president, he wanted to appoint them to office. And there was huge criticism in the New York Times and everywhere saying this was unprecedented. And so I was called because I'm uh, an authority on presidential children. I wrote the book, All the President's Children, They interviewed 20 some of the president's children. So I said, no, that's not true. uh, as a matter of fact, if Ivanka Trump's appointed to the White House, she'll be the 19th son or daughter of a president to actually serve on the White House staff with the president, beginning with the very first president, John Adams, who had biological children. Washington had uh, stepchildren. And John Adams appointed his son, John Quincy Adams, as minister to Prussia. So it's very common and it, it, there's nothing wrong with it at all. When you're president, you want people who are loyal. And, and it's not like they're fair. members of the civil service. You know, these are these these are part of the presidential staff. I think they're all working without pay as well. And the That's res, right. the resentment right. and the historical illiteracy of of uh, the media that criticize them for this is kind of stunning. I think Melania Trump. Yeah, that's good. That's what you put it. That's really good, Jim. You're right. I think uh, Melania has been badly maligned as well. You know, she came from the fashion industry, and uh, and she uh, creates beauty and and order wherever she goes. She's been an outstanding first lady by any accounts. Sort of reminds me of the the way they treated Nancy Reagan. There was nothing um, Nancy or Melania could do to ingratiate themselves to the the left wing media. She's so gracious. And think of this: this is how outrageous. Imagine this. A New York Times reporter accused her of being a prostitute. He apologized later, uh, but he was never fired. Isn't that stunning? That's just amazing to me. But Melania is so precious. She's so gracious. Uh, she's so beautiful. She's so smart and talented. Uh, and it's funny, sometimes at night, they'll, uh, when the media is attacking her for no other reason than just pure jealousy, uh, the president will tease her. And with puffed up importance, he'll say, Melania, honey, 
isn't this great, this adventure I'm taking you on, this first lady? You wouldn't have this without me. And she'll say, oh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I remember prior to the election, it was it was being said that uh, she was sort of being drug kicking and screaming into this uh, this presidential adventure. Uh, do you have any insights on whether or not that was true? Well, she knew it all along that he would win, as you've heard. And the kids reiterated that in the Mar-a-Lago meeting and the Bedminster meeting, which I described in detail, uh, the night of the election when they were sure they were going to lose. You know, they, they came to him and they said, well, you know, uh, Mr. Trump, sir, we're, we're going to lose. What are we going to tell the people at the Hilton and Trump said, well, I'm just going to go downstairs out on Fifth Avenue. I'm going to say I tried my best. You know, I, I'm a patriot. And then tomorrow I'm going to get on a plane and go to Ireland and play a game of golf. And uh, Melania spoke up, said, no, you're going to win. This isn't over. You're going to win. And sure enough, it turned around. And then he came out around midnight and said, sorry for making you wait. Complicated business, this uh, presidential election. <laughs> That's I right. mean, really, I've got the whole story. It's if, really funny. if Hollywood <laughs> wasn't so deeply obsessed with this, you know, Trump derangement <laughs> syndrome, this would be a a movie uh, for the ages where, you know, truth is is actually more amazing than fiction. You're absolutely right. At one point, Brad Parscale sits down with him and says, sir, you will be elected president. I've got the numbers here, and th- my models are different. They're not counting. I'm counting, for example, people who've never voted before who are coming out just to vote for you. And the president says, well, Brad, you may be right. Maybe maybe we will win. But if you're wrong, it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and then Podesta comes out and he gives his speech, and Trump is just transfixed, and now it's clear he's going to be president. And he's looking at these Clinton supporters, these young girls who are weeping because Hillary lost. And, and he says, look at that. Imagine how they feel, because he knew how they felt. He felt that way himself a couple hours before. And he said, imagine what they're thinking. And Ivanka had to say, come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. We've got to go. But he was just uh, transfixed by it. It was a very interesting evening. Brad Parscale's, uh strikes me as sort of the Donald Trump of uh, political operatives. He came out of nowhere uh, to, you know, to to take the reins of the uh, the uh, social media effort uh, for the Trump campaign. Now he's uh, risen to, you know, the the presidential uh, campaign chairman uh, with very little experience, right out of the heartland, and and he is just. Um, He's sort of uh, making fools out of, uh, you know, the, the professional uh, political management class. And you combine him with Kellyanne Conway and and the rest of uh, his his team. And it's just hard to see anybody on the Democrat horizon that's going to give this guy a run for his money in 2020. Well, yeah, it's very interesting the way you put that. It, it, Donald Trump picks people who like what they do. And he treasures desire over competence. And if somebody really wants to do something, like in my case, I wanted to write a book with primary sources for history. If he sees you really like it and you you enjoy what you're doing, he believes you'll be good at it. And he treasures that desire over competence. And that's that's what drove him to uh, hire Brad Parscale. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. How did you... Uh, get this plum job of being the first and only uh, authorized presidential biographer 
from Donald Trump, who's got every reason to distrust you. Uh, I think you had uh, previously worked for George W. Bush, and I don't think the Bushes are, uh, you know, at this point, any big fans of Donald Trump. How did how did you manage to snag this job? Yeah, and they're not big fans of me either. Some of them, <laughs> some of them like me, some of them don't. Well, he, he uh, uh, I wanted it, and I wanted to write it. And uh, I think they batted it around for about a year before they made a decision. Uh, and the president just in a, in a moment, he, he, he told me that I asked him myself, why did you let me do this? He said that Michael Beschloss, the great presidential historian, uh, came down to Mar-a-Lago right after he won. And he said he kissed my, you know what, for a week, but I just had no chemistry. I've got chemistry with you. So that's how he, how he defined it. Uh, but uh, he, he could tell that it was something that I wanted to do. And just in a moment, he said, okay, we're going to let you voice record me. We're, I'm going to give you anybody you want to talk to. It's wide open. You can go anywhere you want to go, and you're going to write the story. And uh, so that was quite an opportunity. And I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what they watch on Netflix, how they raid the refrigerator in the middle of the night at the White House, and how they keep in touch with each other, where they were when the Mueller report came down. I wanted everything. Well, I've just started reading your uh, 375-page book. It is uh, very uh, readable. It's very entertaining. It's written in a very um, easy narrative. It's very entertaining. And as I said, I think there's a real hunger for this book. And, uh, and I hope you uh, have great luck with it. I look forward to, um, to finishing this book and maybe talking with you again sometime. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that very much. The president tweeted three times yesterday about it, so I'm grateful for that. It's going to do well. Doug Weed is author of the new book, Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency, available now on Amazon and at Walmart.com and in finer bookstores everywhere. You can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Weed or go directly to his website at DougWeed.com. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.